This is a day of transition in so many ways, and it's a day of transition in a season of transition. One marker of the end of a church year is the big lunch. Hot dogs, ice cream, I think those are two of the food groups, right? And I want to thank the Congregational Fellowship Committee and the Membership and Evangelism Committee for your work in hosting today's gathering on the lawn. It's the end of a program here at Third Church. We've already said thank you to our Sunday school teachers and our youth advisors. Also, a word of thanks to the children who are leading worship today so joyfully and so faithfully. It's also the last Sunday in the program year where the chancel choir will be participating in worship. And while it's always appropriate to offer thanks and gratitude to them, perhaps we can do so in a special way just now. Thank you, choir, for a wonderful year. And out there in the big world, lots of endings are happening. People are getting married, people are graduating. A few weeks ago it was college. Soon enough it'll be high school graduations. Special shout out to this wonderful group of high school seniors for all you've meant to us. And please take those blankets and those rocks seriously as you have been charged. So in this moment of transition, it's always a good time to look around as we look ahead, as we ask what's next. Now I know in this season of commencement gatherings, there are lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of words. Speeches and letters, older people telling younger people how they should live their lives. In the Bible readings we've heard today, there are two different kinds of farewells. The Apostle Paul is ending his letter to the church at Corinth. You can read the whole thing some other time, but just notice those last few words as he is ending his letter to this church that's small, it's been in conflict. He says, live in peace, agree with one another. That is to say, live in reconciliation. And then in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus is saying farewell to his disciples, and they're, they're kind of scared about what's going to happen next. My mother was an English teacher, and she always said, pay attention to the verbs. So pay attention to the verbs in the words that our young ladies just read a few moments ago, Jesus sharing with his disciples. Go, make, baptize, teach, remember. And if you forget those middle ones, I think that'd be hard to do, make and baptize and teach. Remember the ones at each end, go, and remember. Go and remember. But rather than me adding more words and more words and more words to this conversation today, I thought I would read a story. A story by an author some of us really, really like. His name is Garrison Keeler. And the story is called Dale. Dale. And it talks about the future, what's next, and maybe perhaps as we hear Dale's story, you'll find your story in it. But since it's a story, 
I think I'm not going to read it from here. I think I need to have something to sit on. So I wonder what I can find. Oh, I found something. <laughs> so if you don't mind, I'm going to sit right here and read the story of Dale. With all gratitude to Garrison Keeler. It's been a quiet week in Lake Wobegon. Commencement was Wednesday evening at the football field. The 87 members of the class of 86 were ushered into the next chapter of their lives to the sweet strains of Elgar. Carla Kresbach was one of them, and earlier that day, while she looked at the pictures of her classmates, autographed, and her copy of the yearbook, she thought, wouldn't it be nice if there were 86 people in the class of 86? It would be like a good omen. And then it struck her that she had wished someone dead. <laughs> Just as her eyes fell on Dale Euchre's picture, where he had written, if you get to heaven before I do, just drill a hole and pull me through. Lots of love and good luck to a great kid, that's you. She thought, Dale is going to die because of my terrible thought. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. She put on her eyeshadow and prayed for God to save his life. At the commencement rehearsal, Dale had reason to be distracted. He was fairly sure that he had flunked Dentley's final in higher algebra, get rid of these things, that he had flunked Dentley's final in higher algebra, and that any moment there'd be a knock on the door, the principal would come in and say, Dale, could I see you out here for a moment? He'd follow the principal out to the hall and hear him say, I have bad news, Dale. You can't graduate. You'll have to come back next year. He waited all day for the knock. He felt like he was floating. Algebra ordinarily was a good subject for him, but on Sunday he couldn't remember anything the first 20 minutes. He kept saying, relax, and relaxed and got panicky in a relaxed sort of way. On the last problem, in the last panicky minutes of the hour, he caught a clear view of Barbara Soderbergh's test. The problem solved in big block lettering and looked up at the top of Dentley's head behind his desk, looked at Barbara's test again, and then looked up at the minute hand just about to jump to the 12 so the bells would ring and thought, this doesn't matter that much. It's just not that important to me. And set his pencil down. The bell rang and Dale stood up and walked away. That was Monday. How glorious to fail and in this moment of humiliation, discover the meaning of life. It was the greatest day and a half of his life, and then it ended sadly. Dentley called him in and said, Dale, your final wasn't so good, but I've been looking at it, and I'm going to give you a C minus on it and a C for the year. I think that basically you understand the material. You just didn't know exactly how to use it. But I didn't solve the problems, Dale said. Yeah, but I could see where you were headed on most of them, and anyway, I'm going to give you some extra credit for class participation. <laughs> he looked up, a sad man with thin, dry hair, smiling, and Dale said, That's not right. I flunked your test. I don't want to sneak out of it. I failed. Dale, you had a bad day. I'm not going to nail you for that. He didn't feel right about it, but he let Dentley write down a C. Then he felt worse. 
It was like he had refused to cheat, only to allow someone else to cheat for him. He talked to Mr. Halverson, who thought Dale was complaining that the grade was low. He kept saying, Dale, there's no shame in a C. It's a passing grade. When he sat with the others Wednesday night, he felt good again. The night so clear, the smell of grass and damp, the music and voices drifting across the field, so many faces. How could a lover of life not be elated with so much to see as this? At the end, the band played and they stood up together in a whoosh of gowns and walked out, heads high. Someone called Dale, Dale, and the camera flashed. Later, that night at a graduation party, Dale announced, I'm going in the Navy, which sounded good to him. It was a great night, one arm around a girl talking, and then she said, I'm awfully glad you're alive. It's enough to be alive, he said. A person doesn't need anything more. But later, why so soon, his mother said. How do I know you've even thought about it? Four years, Dale. What's the big rush? You haven't signed anything yet, have you? Honey, you didn't. Oh, Dale, how could you do this? Honey, you don't even know how to swim. <laughs> You'd be out in the ocean someplace. Ma, they carry life preservers. How do you know that? It's the law. They have to. Who's going to enforce it? This is the government. They make the law. They don't have to obey it. <laughs> they don't have to take care of you one bit. They could throw you over the side and who'd know it? Bobby was scared and upset. Dale is her youngest boy, then it's Deb, and then they're all gone. She stood against the stove, crying into a dish towel. Everyone was there, an emergency family meeting, Raleigh and Louise and Jack and Bobby and Dale's uncle Carl. Bobby said to him, talk to him, Jack. I can't tell him anything. I gave up telling him anything a long time ago, said Jack. Bobby said, talk to him, Dad. And Raleigh just looked away. He was hurt because Dale hadn't asked his advice. Bobby was making lasagna. What am I doing this for, she said through her tears. It was 8 o'clock in the evening, everyone had eaten supper, and she was making four big pans of lasagna to freeze. She said, but with Dale leaving and taking his appetite with him, why such big pans? Raleigh didn't say much that night, because he felt too bad. He had looked after Dale since he was six. Raleigh saw how those older brothers ganged up on the little boy. And he knew what a hard man Jack could be, so he went out of his way for Dale and tried to show him things. He taught him how to drive a tractor when he was seven and how to handle pigs and took him fishing and was close to him, as close as Raleigh knew how to be, close enough that Dale came over to talk to his grandpa every single day. So he was hurt the boy would now turn away and be secretive and this Friday night not even look at him. Raleigh sat and studied his coffee. No, he said, there never was a war we fought that we had a good reason for. None of them made sense. Everyone was quiet. Nobody spoke. About 11, Bobby said she was going to bed. They walked out in the yard and stood around the cars for a while talking. To Dale, it was like a dream. Under the yard light and the stars in the sky, his family talking in the evening breeze, the big barn half full of hay bales like a cargo ship docked at the house. 
looming above them in the night. Monday, he cleared out his room. He threw out all his school stuff, most of his letters, and his 4-H project on pork, nature's perfect food, and selected the pictures he'd take along, including Carla's graduation picture and enlargement. Most people she gave a billfold size to, but she gave him an enlargement. One more way he knew she had feelings for him. He called the Navy the next day and went to St. Cloud and took all the tests and made up his mind that if they wanted him, he was going. And suddenly it was Wednesday, and Dale was leaving at one. His mother sat and wept over breakfast, and then she got busy. Jack drove the Pontiac in to fill it up with gas, a sort of going away present, a full tank. Dale sat in the living room. Debbie sat there reading a magazine. Everyone came in for a little lunch, the Euchers and Raleigh and Louise and Carl. They squeezed in around the kitchen table where his mother laid out a big spread. She didn't use the dining room because it wasn't Sunday and they weren't company. <laughs> and she felt too bad. She felt so bad. She had spent all morning fixing lunch. There were platters of meat, hot and cold, tuna salad, potato salad, hamburger casserole, tuna hot dish, breads and pickles, even Fran could see it was too much. And then she reached into the oven for the big one, a baking pan. She held it out to him, for you, Dale, and she took the tin foil off. It was pigs in blankets, wieners baked in a biscuit crust. He had liked them when he was eight, but she still thought it was his favorite dish. <laughs> she watched him take two. She studied his face for signs of pleasure. Mmm, those are very good. Thank you, he said. And then it was one. Well, he said. He stood up. I can't stand it, she cried, and she ran into the bathroom. He hugged his grandpa and grandma. He shook hands with Uncle Carl. He looked at his dad and shook hands with him. He said, Ma, come on, Ma. Grandma was crying now, and Debbie had an arm around her and was sniffling. Oh, Dale, we may never see him again. Dale thought, I may never get out of here. <laughs> Ma, come on out of there. Open the door. I can't. I feel too bad. Ma, are my car keys in there? Nope. Ma, are you sure? Nope. Ma, please, I gotta go. Help me find them. But I don't want you to go. Ma, did you take my keys? No. Ma, his grandma crying, I just know I'll never see you again. Debbie crying, I'll be here, grandma. Oh, I know, honey, but it's not the same. Debbie went up to her room to cry. Jack said, maybe you gave them to someone. Maybe you left them out on the lawn somewhere. Maybe you left them in the car. When he said that, a thoughtful look came over his face. You know, he said, I wonder if they wouldn't be up over the visor. And of course, they were. And so he left. He drove past Carla's on the odd chance she'd be outside. And she was mowing the lawn, and he got out to say goodbye, and she hugged him. I'll sure miss you a lot, she said, so I hope you'll write me once in a while. And away he went. 
it's a wonderful thing to push on alone toward the horizon and have it be your own horizon and not someone else's. It's a good feeling, lonely and magnificent and frightening and peaceful, especially when you leave someone behind who will miss you and to whom you can write. And so the blue Pontiac rose over the rise and zoomed around the curve by the grain elevator and up the long grade to the hill and disappeared into the future. So we go into the future. And we remember, because God is a rock, that God is with us always, so we can let our light shine. Amen.